guys, KO here. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila, where we are working to inspire positive, radical social evolution by uniting mission-driven humans. I am so excited to welcome Dr. Lucille Johnson, who is an accomplished public health consultant dedicated to building social capital through community outreach, engagement, education, training, research, and advocacy. She is a wealth of experience and education, including her honorary doctorate degree in public service from the Denver Institute of Urban Studies and Masters of Arts in Psychology and Bachelor's of Science in Business Administration from Regis University. Dr. Lucille shares her journey in adversity and how it's provided her path and purpose in advocacy. This is an awesome conversation for anyone looking at their life and wondering how it all adds up. This is an inspirational story and educational tale of keeping the faith, staying in it, and sticking to the priorities of your purpose. Check this podcast out wherever you get your podcasts, but be sure to watch a video on YouTube. Dr. Lucille, a.k.a. Mama Lucy, thank you for your time and energy. I cannot wait to see what's next. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Questioning a better way, one gracefully disruptive conversation at a time. Welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. I'm so excited today. I know I say that every time, but it is the truth. And we have some, I, I want to say pod fam relatives. I'm so excited. I have Dr. Lucille Johnson coming on and she is Ashley, the Ashley Simone Knight's mom, who is a pseudo host basically of Turmeric and Tequila. She's been on a bunch of times. She's going to be coming on for our annual uh, New Year's Eve or New Year breakdown. So be ready for that. But <clears throat> I'm excited because we referenced uh, Mama Lucy on many of TNT podcasts. So we finally have her on the mic and she's going to break down some really amazing health and wellness initiatives. She's going to share her journey. I'm actually going to read her full bio uh, because it is so impressive. But without further ado, before we, we get into that, Dr. Lucille Johnson, welcome to Turmeric and Tequila. Thanks for having me, Kristen. I'm, I'm really excited. You and I have been threatening to do this, so here we are. <laughs> we finally, finally, the universe made it happen. It took a little bit, but we're here. And before we get into anything, I want to say, um, if you listen to this and you like what you hear, which I hope you do, we are super supporting Mama Lucy into getting her own podcast, which is going to come <laughs> to fruition. I don't know if she wants to announce it or not. I'm kind of putting it on the spot, but we're going to manifest it. So um, this is like... This is the warm up to that. Are, are we good with that, Mama Lucy? We're good with that. I'm sticking my toe in the water. Yes, Don't yes. have anything to announce right now, but yes. something will be forthcoming. There you go. We're just putting it out to universe and seeing what yes. comes in. Okay, so I'm going to read the bio. I don't usually do this, but I want you to drink this in and then we're just going to kick into our casual combo about health, wellness and everything in between. Lucille Johnson is an accomplished public health consultant dedicated to building social capital through community outreach, engagement, education, training, research, and advocacy. She served as an executive with the Center for African American Health for 15 years before founding Affinity Consulting Services, LLC, of which she is CEO. Lucille also served as a PACT, P-A-C-T, community research liaison, establishing work working partnerships between academic researchers and individuals within community for 10 years. As an advisory board member, trainer, and curriculum developer, developer for the Center for Public Health Practices Patient Navigator Training Development, Standardization, and Sustainability of Growing Patient Navigation Workforce. Dr. Johnson holds an honorary 
doctorate degree in public service from the Denver Institute of Urban Studies and Master of Arts in Psychology and Bachelor of Science in Business Administration degree from Regis University. She is in an Alma uh, Alma Fellowship of the Bonfi Stanton Foundation's Livingston Fellowship Program, Regional Institute for Health and Environmental Leadership Program, and a Mental Health first aid instructor. Lucille is dedicated is a dedicated advocate for an encourager of well-being, healthy lifestyle behaviors and supports and coaches others to be intentional about self-care. Somebody drop a mic. <laughs> Did that sum it all up? That that sums it up. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, no, that sums yes. it up. Uh, that's why I want to take intentionally the time. Um, you and Ashley are two of my most uh, favorite intentional humans, and that's how it needs to be in 2023. We're out here living intentionally, but I love this because it's uh, the host of degrees, a host of an intentional showing up, but you really walking in your passion for years and then bringing that passion to the community. And if there's one wish I have for everyone in 2023 is finding that heart space, finding that passion, and then being able to walk in service of that passion. So that's a whole podcast, but enough of me talking, uh, Dr. Lucille, Mama Lucy, tell us about young version of you. So before we get to the degrees and everything else, tell us about the early years, what kind of led us up to this passion in healthcare and wellness for everyone. Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> I probably didn't know it at the time, but you know, growing up and in a culture where people didn't necessarily talk about health or what's going on. You get to be kind of in an exploratory phase, so you don't know what you don't know because people aren't saying what's happening. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can remember my grandmother um, being sick and in the back room, in a bedroom in the back, and they just said, well, grandmama's not feeling well. Well, we didn't know what it was. I didn't know anything about family history, didn't know what the situation was until indeed she passed and then really didn't get a good grasp on that until I was really an adult and began to do work in health to figure out, oh, this is what was going on. This is what was happening, those types of things. Um, grew up around uh, people who were pretty much physically active. You know, we would go out, have fun, be at picnics, playing softball. You know, it was during the times that children weren't in the house all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, common thing that you would hear is go outside and play yeah. <laughs> and so you know that's what we did um and you know food I'd say always plays a uh, huge role um in my life and culture you know you celebrate with food when someone's born you celebrate when someone dies with food and then all points in between mm -hmm. and so I think growing up being physically active and I'd say wanting to sustain that um and then managing the way that I eat, it was a little different for me because as I fast forward to being a young adult, adult who moved on uh, from uh, Colorado Springs to Denver, my lifestyle changed. So I wasn't the one who would eat all the fried foods and this, I, I enjoy those things, but I knew that I wanted to do something a little different. I want to maybe bake my chicken instead of frying the chicken and just, you know, eat more fruits and vegetables and, you know, all of these types of things. So at some point, I'm not really sure how all of this came to be, how I um, wanted to adopt 
these values around physical activity and, and health. I saw some models, um, but then I saw others that, you know, not so much people just, you know, living their lives and physical activity and paying attention to nutrition wasn't necessarily, you know, their forte. Um, when it comes to sports and things, I would have loved to be in sports in high school. I remember loving to run, but I was raised for the most part, the early years by my mom, who was a, a single mom. And uh, those were back in the days we did not have health insurance. Okay. And so my mom never said this to me, but I think I was always a grown up, even as a young person. And I'm like, okay, well, we don't have any health insurance. I probably shouldn't be out there trying to run track or anything like that, risk getting hurt because how am I going to go to the doctor? How will this be paid for? It, you know, that type of, of thing, you know, when you're mindful of the environment that you're growing up in. But I think health wise, I did other things like I would be, um, on the drill team and, you know, things that would incorporate dance and movement and other ways that I could get physical activity. And for some reason, I just really enjoyed running. And so run through the neighborhood around yeah. the track at the school and, you know, those types of things, but never anything uh, formal, formal. So as I fast forwarded and found my calling when I moved to uh, the Denver Metro, I worked a lot of uh, corporate jobs, but I ended up at a nonprofit uh, because I always wanted to do something that could address the heart and the wants and the needs of the people that you're serving. Mm -hmm. So some people call it servant leadership. I was just itching to be someplace and to do things um, where people really cared about the people that they were serving. And so I kind of ended up there. And because of what I learned, um, I began to say, well, if I'm going to do this kind of work, let me take a good look at what I'm doing. What is my lifestyle? And so I began to shift my lifestyle because if you're out in community and you're preaching health and well-being and this and that, um, you need to try to walk the talk. Yes. And yes. so I was doing my best to walk the talk and starting to make some small changes uh, so that it would be reflected in community as folks, you know, came to join in in our programs and, and things like that. Um, the same thing with physical activity. Um, I learned that I like to work out. I like to be at the gym. Yes, I love being at the gym and stuff like that. And, you know, walking out in nature. I do like hiking. I'm not talking about the hiking where you go up the 14ers. That will yeah, not be ours. But I love, you know, doing some low-level hiking. I love uh, snowshoeing. Um, yeah, just I realized the benefits of being physically active. And so, um, you know, I grew up with a lot of my younger cousins being more athletic, um, uh, playing basketball and stuff like that. But I have to say that when I was coming up, we didn't even have a girls basketball team. So, um, you know, things have really, really come a long way. But just really, you know, seeing people, how they manage their health, how they manage their physical activity, or they choose not 
to and the consequences of that, whether it be in family or whether it be people out in community, it was like, this is an opportunity to help and to begin to share information that people may not know about that small changes, really small changes can make a big difference. Absolutely. I, I love, um, I always think like if we, on here, I say God, universe, Madonna, whatever you believe. I believe early on you are prepared to walk in your truth or do your passion or kind of serve your purpose early on, like you're prepared. So I love that you had that inclination to kind of take control, whether it was your family, lack of insurance or whatever, but it was something around like personal responsibility and worrying about the things you can control. And fast forward, however many years later, I think that's such a relevant, deeply important conversation in 2020. And now it's to be 2023 because, in my opinion, you can't really trust these big systems, big food, big pharma, whatever. Even if you can have all the access to all the insurance in the world, more medicine isn't the answer or this or, you know, doing something like food pyramid or something like you really have to arm yourself with knowledge nowadays to take care of yourself, regardless of accessibility, which is, of course, a conversation. But you got to get personally responsible for your own health now more than ever, because there's so many mistruths out there. Do you think it's it's a harder space to navigate now, even though we do have a wealth of information and we're, we have access to the internet and whatnot to get the right information around health? Or do you think it was actually harder back in the day? I, I think, um, I think it's harder now. I agree. Uh, I, agree. I think it's harder now because there's so much available. And like you said, with the internet and everything we have access to at our fingertips, oftentimes people don't stop to think that something that they see on the internet, it might not be true. <laughs> you know, and th that words are being twisted and things yeah. are being said in a way to make you believe one thing. But when you really delve into it, mm, that's not necessarily so. Right. Well, I always tell people, you got to remember one thing. If you remember nothing else, it's a business. Health and wellness and fitness, these are multi-billion dollar industries, pharmaceuticals. They're there to make money. So if nothing else motivates you to take control, remember one thing, like it is business. And there are absolutely moral driven, mission driven humans like both of us. I mean, it's cost me exponentially to not align with some <laughs> companies I couldn't get behind. Right. But the bottom right. line is, and I'm, I'm sure you've walked away from opportunities, but if you can't really walk in it and you can't get behind it, it, you shouldn't really be putting it out there. But on the flip side, there are really good people out there going the extra mile, like Dr. Lucy, who is trying to advocate for the person seeking the truth and then finding the right path for you, which is, it's really hard nowadays. And there's just so much information out there. Um, was there a point when you were in it and maybe something like, especially in the education system, because you know, some of these degrees and this information has evolved over time. Like the food pyramid is no longer, like some of this stuff has just changed. Have you seen it with such an in-depth educational background? Have you seen some of that industry evolved with your own eyes and, and different systems change? Uh, I have, and, and I will say that my education and background ground is not in nutrition. It's not mm -hmm. in physical activities. It's in none of that. Um, but it is really after being immersed in community and really being able to do and de uh, delve deep into some population-based health issues, health disparities, that everything comes alive. And so, yes, during the time that I was, um, uh, at first, you know, started, uh, with this body of work, we had the food pyramid, we had this, we had that, then it shifted to you need to eat this many 
fruits and vegetables. No, you need to eat this many. And then you need to eat by color and, you know, and whatever it is, there are tools out there that will help us. And so I look at those tools as things that are helpful. I look uh, uh, gleefully at uh, some of the changes that have been made, like uh, food labels. You know, uh, there's more information now on the food levels, uh, food labels. So we happen to know um, a little bit more about what we're consuming. I completely agree. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I one one exciting thing that I do love <clears throat> we'll go to get into like generational narrative around health and wellness and activity and like you I have no um education outside of real experience which I do hold a lot of confidence in uh with nutrition specifically or anything like that tried everything as a longtime competitor but so much of it even if you do have degrees and stuff is individual to you and what works for you so you can kind of learn you know the advised you know nutrition situation whatever but you really got to do trial and error and that's kind of like where I love advocates of people like you in consulting where it's like they can help what works for you specifically because that's a whole it's more in-depth conversation where you just kind of give this one size fits all for everybody but on generation wise and the food labeling wise i love it because my first company colorado rising stars lacrosse it was about youth tournaments and playing lacrosse we had a bunch of consumer package good partners and you know this is 10 15 years old the company's 20 years old now our kiddos would would be you know 7 10 you know 12 like young looking at labels and the parents wouldn't even oh. ask you know what are we giving the kids and we were always very socially responsible on bringing healthy stuff and it was i mean cliff bars and things like healthier it's still sugar whole other podcast but the kids were very aware of like is this gluten free is this nut free is this like our young people were used to reading labels and seeing it. So it was like stuff that I didn't even, you know, talk about or, you know, had any awareness growing up. And I, we played sports. We did all the things like you, um, or my mom would actually always say, she's like, you know, you're lucky. I didn't get a play and girls didn't have a basketball team. We had like cheerleading right. and swimming. And like, those were the two options. So that was always a narrative in my mind of how lucky I was as a female to play these things. And even in my generational speaker on sports, I, there was a lot of stuff I couldn't play. It was just for boys. So even that's shifted over. So it's, it's cool to see that evolution, but nutrition specifically, I love to see our young people people really adhering to and I feel like questioning a better way earlier and and getting it have you seen that firsthand do you feel like our young people are more dialed in than we were in our generations um well I will say when I was immersed in community doing the work that was not the case okay because you're you're dealing with different cultures you're dealing with a lot of different things uh socioeconomic status you know um yeah, all sorts of health disparities and things. And one of the last things that people might be trying to do is read a food label when they're just yeah. really trying to say, do I have a meal on the table? Yeah. And so have things changed? Yes, they have. Things have come along and there's more information. And I think because people who may be involved with the young people are now maybe more in tune and, you know, you can come in and you can have workshops and things like that. And I would just say, I have been so tremendously blessed by, um, I say, I've, you've probably heard this statement, we stand on the shoulders of giants. Mm-hmm. Well, when I was in community doing this work, um, you know, really on the ground, I got to stand on the shoulders of so many giants. So yeah. there were nurses that taught me so much and there were uh, dietitians. and these people are black. And, you know, I grew up in an environment and worked in a system 
um, where they say, oh no, there's no black, we can't find a, a black nutritionist or dietitian or nurses that know this, that, or the other. I was like, well, where are you looking? Yeah. Uh, how are you you know, do your outreach, you know, what, what's up with that. But we were able to come together and just do some phenomenal work because I had an opportunity to become educated about a whole lot of stuff until people thought, oh, are you a nurse? Nope. I'm not a nurse. Don't even yeah. say that. I'm, you know, but we learn what we want to learn about and we learn about what's really important to us. And when you look at the health disparities that exist in communities of color, where there's a disproportionate share of the negative outcomes, it's important. And so I took that to heart and really just grabbed on with it and learned as much as I could. And we had a wonderful team of people who went all uh, throughout community and you know around the country talking about these things and the importance of um, health education. Oh, I love that. Okay. So I want to, I want to unpack this a little bit more because, and I actually kind of love that I gave that lacrosse example because lacrosse is traditionally very white. It's wealthy white kids and it's usually in private schools. It's like one of the most diverse sports in the world, Um, maybe next to like polo or something else, but it's, there's not a lot. So I can, I love that you brought up the example because that's exactly what it is. And right now, um, reaching segue, but we've got two grocery stores that are potentially ma- uh, merging and it's going to further possibilities of food deserts because they're going to close down certain stores in certain areas. And this is something I've wanted to unpack for a while, but the uh, the opportunity or in the, the conversation, the disparity amongst um, people of color, the lack of nutrition or available sources of good fueling, it sounds like you had a good team and the 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 answer was exposure and conversation. Um, but in that experience, what do you think was like this, like one thing or a few things that really helped move the needle or the conversation in the right way? Was it like showing up and talking about it or being in the community? Like what was kind of like the main step in the right direction to help solve some of these situations? Well, I say all of that, talking about it, educating people, um, connecting with other folks, um, Uh, forming collaborative partnerships so, you know, we could um, expand our reach. Um, And, you know, just really talking about a lot of times people don't know what they don't know. And Mm -hmm. even though, you know, folks talk about food desert, this, that, or the other, you know, we were doing all of this education and our organization was smack dab in the middle of a food desert. And I was hard pressed. If I was working late, I was just like, let me drive somewhere real quick to get a quick bite to eat. And so you've got this chicken place, that chicken place, you've got pizza, you've got this, that, or the other. And then don't mention the corner store. You know, corner stores back in the day when I was coming up at least had a few vegetables and fruits and some fresh meats and stuff like that. I went into a corner store one day and I was just like shocked. Now, granted, this was many, many years ago. And it was just like the best thing I could come out with was some crackers, Mm -hmm. um, some cheese, like a stick of cheese and maybe an apple or a banana. Mm -hmm. But when you look at um, that's what's available and then um, it's it's just um, it was very sad. It it, it still is. Mm very sad because we still have food deserts to this day. Yeah. Well, I, and it's such an important conversation because it's just, it's not just about 
um, malnourishment, you talk about if you get into the minutia of health and wellness, again, not a doctor, not a nutrition, but know enough because I've unpacked some of my own stuff, but like your gut and that, the gut brain connect. And then obviously if what you're putting in your body is impacting your physical health, your mental health, if you're falling asleep at school, if you're consuming red dye 40 all the time and you have um, behavioral issues or ADD, it accentuates some of those things. Like there's a whole list of like how you fuel is impacting so many other things. So it's so deeply important to have conversation, have accessibility, have, um, you know, real options, but mostly just like the education and awareness of, of how you can control that. And of course, obviously not having accessibility is a huge piece, but I think just the knowledge and the power of knowing what you're putting in your body is doing something is, is deeply, deeply powerful. And, um, I don't know. I feel like kids are getting that, even if it's, I definitely understand if it's not an option and you're just trying to eat, that's, you know, Maslow's hierarchy, you have to take care of the needs. Um, but I feel like the, the kids are understanding that it's that the conversation is at least there. Would you agree with that? Or do you think it's still disproportionate? I still think it's disproportionate because okay. it just depends on, where on are. where you are. Yeah. You know, I would say that um, maybe we've moved the, the needle a little bit, mm -hmm. but it is still uh, disproportionate uh, because you can talk about it all day, but then what's going to move you to action if yeah. you can't deal or address the things that are the barriers. How do you get to action? You can yeah. have all the knowledge yeah. in the world, but how do you get to action? Do you have do you have uh, like an advisory piece of like what that would be? Do you think it's like getting um there's a company I heard or a nonprofit that was doing like healthy food trucks? It was really cool and going into mm -hmm. um different communities to talk about fruits and vegetables and giving a speech. And then they often said there was, you know, kids didn't know like what a squash was or they hadn't seen some vegetables. Sure. They didn't even know what it was, but that was kind of one of the solutions. Had you guys come up with a solution or was there some sort of activations that you saw that were really powerful? Oh, education, education, education. Yeah. So at the organization that I was with for 15 years, um, we started a community health fair. And we did that because there were health fairs around the city and some that were very, very large. And people would go to them in droves and either they had to pay for screenings or there weren't necessarily... Um, Infor there wasn't necessarily information that was specific to a particular culture, okay? So again, you dealt with whatever you got there. Mm -hmm. And so I was in a meeting with uh, some collaborators from different churches and some healthcare professionals, some nurses and the like, and they said, well, why don't we just do our own health fair? And I'm there, you know, new in the field and all of this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do this. And then I'm just like, what did I get myself into? <laughs> but, you know, 20 some years later, this event, it, you know, it's, it's still going on. And oh, we use that um... as opportunity to educate people. So, yeah. you know, you make it an intergenerational cultural event. Um, we would have um, dietitian, nutritionists, chefs. We would have cooking demonstrations. Uh, we would have physical activity demonstrations like dancing, young people maybe uh, compete in a step competition. And those are all great ways, great forms of physical activity. But we would have chefs come in and um, our dietitians talk to us about, for example, um, I call this one segment, cutting up the cost. So you can take a chicken, 
a whole chicken instead of going to the store and buying a chicken that's already been cut up because it's more expensive. So to cut up the cost, you can buy a whole chicken. And then they showed us how to cut up a chicken. Okay, and then you could make at least three different meals using that one chicken. Mm -hmm. So educating people that way, educating people one one year, we really kind of tricked them because we had some dish for food tasting along with mashed potatoes. You would think it was mashed potatoes, but it was mashed cauliflower and it was absolutely delicious. (laughs) And so you start introducing and then, you know, we were in churches, we were throughout community, you know, teaching about these things. And it's really about education. Mm -hmm. And then we partnered with some folks who we could teach them about certain things and then send them home with the ingredients to be able to make because it's one thing to teach people about something, but if you don't give them the tools to be successful, then what good is that going to do? You know, we really wanted it to be value added. So I say education, 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 and um, being in there, you know, on the ground floor, and I call it making friends with people. Uh, One of the things I love to do is collaborate. And um, I've just said, I'm out here making friends. And yeah, way back yeah. in the day when a lot of uh, Big Pharma had a black eye or a bad name, I had friends and colleagues in Big Pharma who showed up big time. Mm-hmm. And they would support um, these events and support other things that we were doing until they changed all the rules and the government said, now farmers <laughs> can only do this, this, or this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are good people out there. And mm-hmm. n- not everybody's going to get it. And we recognize that not everybody is um, uh, culturally responsive, but we can partner with those people who may not get it, but they really, really do want to get it. Mm -hmm. And they want to come to the table and they want to make a difference. And so, you know, that's how some things get started. Yes. I will never, I mean, marketing and branding, it's just like straight up like grassroots initiatives, getting out there, like knocking on doors, like just getting in the mix of stuff, whatever the mission is. It's it's powerful. Did you, I'm always fascinated on like getting to the, the people, like were you, like, how did you guys get to the people? Was it about you going into the churches? Were you doing like flyers? Like, how did you get the people to come to these events? Because to me, like that's as a personal, you know, mission driven human. And then as a professional, that's always like my most challenging step. Cause I wanted to be like in super authentic, um, non-salesy, like mission-driven heart set mind space. But like that first connect, I'm always fascinated how people do that. Cause these are like, I mean, you're, you're shifting in the way they, they, they live, the way you feel yourself. Like these are kind of deep personal conversations. How did you sure, guys break down sure. some of those doors? Yeah. So the, the thing of it is, and I'm glad you said it the way you did, how did you get the people to come to you? Yeah. Um, eventually that happened, but that was not our goal at all. Okay. Our goal is meeting people where they are. Yeah. And so instead of expecting the people to come to us, we went to where the people are. Yeah. And okay. you make friends. We had a collaborative with churches all over the city. Started out with um, maybe working with 14 uh, churches. And by the time uh, I ended my tenure with the organization. We had like 80 churches that we were working with and they had people in their congregations who were interested in serving their community, which is their church, but also the community around their church Um, and other ways that they might come up. Uh, defined community. It could be a sorority, fraternity, civic organization, all of those 
types of things. So by meeting people where they are, by yeah. connecting yeah. and uh, with all these people who have connections, you know, building that that social capital and just letting folks know, you know, we care about you. Yeah. You know, people yeah. want to know that you care before they want to hear what you know about, you know. And so um, it was just wonderful, you know, being able to be a part of community, which I was a part because I was um, a part of a church and knew people at different churches. And so it's just really networking. And uh, then those networks begin to expand and expand. And then before you know it, you have a collaboration and a lot of people are working together, you know, to reach a goal. I think one of the fun things that we did, I was working with some researchers over the, at the Anschutz Medical Campus. And at the time, it was uh, a program they started called Colorado on the Move. And it was about wearing step counters and counting your steps. I think I remember And, <laughs> you know, most people say you need to get 10,000 steps a day, but that was a end goal, that was a higher goal, but if you would get at least 2,000 steps a day, you know, so getting that information out there, partnering with churches, having people underwrite the devices so we could give them away and have have healthy competitions among the churches about how many people, how many, uh, how many steps can their congregation get, all the while they're increasing their well-being and they're out there walking and yeah. doing things that uh, are fun and and competitive in you know some way, yeah. so just um, being able to make changes that that then turned into uh, America on the move. But being able to introduce things like that to folks in our community, I can't tell you the number of times that I've been blessed to be able to sit in meetings and places and. You know, it's sad to say, but for many, many years, I thought I could walk in the room and not be the only black person in the room or, you know, the only one among a few. Um, but it, it's still the case in some cases. And so I figured my call is what I learn. It's my responsibility to bring this back. Yeah. And then figure out ways that we can grow it and disseminate that information out into community and bring programs um, into our community. I remember I was working with one organization and they had um, the habit of working with communities of color based on their size. So if you're in a certain market, they would call it, that had a lot of people of color, they were more likely to bring their programming to that area because they're looking for big numbers. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, I, I got inside the organization, sat on committees, chair committees, and got to the point where I could say, well, what about this community where we're only 4% of the yeah. population, but we bear the brunt of the disproportion disproportionately of the negative outcomes. And so I got to talk to leadership of this organization to say, you need to bring this program to Denver. You know, won't you bring this to Denver and you know use the health disparity data to make my case and you know advocacy. And yeah. that's yeah. how we were able to bring some national programming into the, into the area. So oh, okay. my second question was going to be, did they listen? So it, it, it worked. 
Yeah, it did. It did work. Yes. It did. Okay. This disruption. You know, then you you're able to get. Not only did it work, but then you're able to get funding, and not just funding that will support you doing a project, but not pay for someone's time. Mm -hmm. We're looking now looking for funding that will uh, underwrite NFTE. So why do we get to do all of this glorious outreach that you now know we can do and that we're really connected into, say, the African-American community and some of the other uh, communities of color, uh, but you don't want to underwrite what it really, really takes to do it. And so it took me um, having to refuse money mm -hmm. uh, in order to get more money because a $10,000 grant was no longer going to allow me to do the type of work that we needed to do and to scale up in community. Yeah. And then they started calling us, oh, what program do you have? What program do you have to do this, that, or the other? And then we started to apply for uh, grant dollars that would be more sufficient in underwriting staff so that we could go out and build capacity to be able to reach the folks that need to hear the messages and reach them in ways that were meaningful to them. Yeah. Amazing. So two key takeaways, meeting people where they're at. Personally, professionally, I've learned that time and time again, because you can't, it's never, it's especially in 2022, 2023, it's never about convincing. It's about inspiring. And this is my continued conversation around influencers versus inspirers. Influencers is what we commonly know. As you were saying, like you're the influencer, you are the person walking in example, but you were walking in it because it's from this heartfelt mission-driven space versus I'm getting paid to do it. And now our, our people are so much more, everything's so much more transparent. They see that. So I always like to say like my inspirers, the leaders, the examples walking in it are doing it from such authentic space. Um, I think that's so amazing. And the second, so meeting people where they're at, number one, takeaway. Number two, I'm walking it truthfully, but number two is um, walking away from the dollars when you know they're not sufficient. No, oh, that's so hard to do. And this is why I'm a huge Madonna fan. She walked away from Pepsi because they wanted to control her creative narrative. Different, but kind of the same if you dig into that. But it's, you have to ha know where you stand knowing your value and then say this isn't enough I think that's a really really powerful statement when you I mean was that easy for you to say that's it this isn't enough I'm gonna expect more because it's it's kind of it's hard to do that like did you were you nervous about that to walk away from someone or did you know it had to be well that? you know um it was it was just a reality yeah so you know year after year so for the first few years you know you could see you know funders underwriting small projects okay and, and if you keep asking for and getting funded for small projects, you know, you could get pigeonholed into, oh, this is just a small project organization. And so at some point you have to say, mm, no, we're not. Yeah. And we make a big difference. And so this is now where we're shifting our energy. Yeah. And then the other thing I want to say about influencer versus um inspire someone who is inspirational um i never considered myself an influencer um mm -hmm. inspirational perhaps because in our community i'm no different i'm dealing with the same things they're dealing with everyone you know i'm i'm black i'm you know i'm part of that community that has a disproportionate share of the negative outcomes across social economic status mm -hmm. so you know it's it's not about influencer it's about what can we do to better all of us and when i say all mm -hmm. of us i'm in that number too yeah you know so it's, yeah. it's very important 
Yes. And, I, and and that's what it is. There's such negative connotation around influencer. And it's and this is why I started the podcast because most of my top influencers don't want to be influencers. They don't oh, want to okay. be on. And I'm like, come on, get on the podcast. Tell me your story because you are an influencer. I completely agree sure. with everything you're saying. And this is my battle in marketing a thousand yeah. percent. And it's why you need a CrossFitter going to talk about CrossFit things and uh, a Christian person going to talk Christian. Like you need the authentic space. That, like they're from it and they walk in it. They bleed it. They are that. And it, it, it's in companies are starting to get that. But it's just so funny because deeply personal but the business conversation is exactly the same and all my yeah. top level leaders they don't want to be influencers so it's it's this and they're the ones that should be leading it because then you have every you know basically influencer out there with abs on instagram making you know a million dollars because they're selling diet pills it's a whole thing but right. i completely agree with that entire statement and that it's in it the good news is i really do think people of all ages now can see through the bs so much more because there is instagram social media everything it's a reality but they, they can listen to podcasts and hear someone's story they know it's so much beyond influence right. it's an inspiration they can they can hear their truth and their passion and their why and that associates sure. trust and then if you can trust them then there's opportunity for real impact and change um, absolutely so I, I, I completely yes yeah so it's it's funny it's just the same thing but i'm i'm and it's, all my top leaders are like i'm not an influencer get that out of here and i i completely agree with you and it's just a matter of understanding um but but i'm with you so on that note yeah, so I, I, in, in in that sense i just don't sometimes people have a way of separating well i'm an influencer and yeah. they're the ones who needs to be influenced you know yeah. what i'm saying yes well and the so, word influence you know, is we're all in this together we're yeah. all in this together you know i happen to have uh some expertise that can help us in one area someone else has expertise that can help us in another area yeah. and collectively you know we're out here fighting to make a difference yes or i say I heard... working hard and diligently to make a difference I heard a good, um, it, it's a cheat. I love cliches, but it was uh, every dream takes a team. And I think that's everybody's life. Like get your, the people that are good at this and the people that are good at nutrition, the people that are good at whatever it is you and your world, like go get your, your um, advocates, your consultants, your advisors. The good news is be around your inspires, your influencers. Cause then that takes a load off. I can't be the best nutritionist. I can't advise you on insurance. I can't advise you on this, but I can tell you good people that can. And yeah. then it's, I can show up. I can, sh I can tell you what I'm good at. And then I can show you who's good at everything else you might need. Like the team is the key piece, I think for everybody. Right. And I, I think, um, when you think about go get, um, I tend to think that when you're doing the work, and you know the work is good and it's for the good of you know mm -hmm. of the people people gravitate towards you yeah. so you don't necessarily have to go get you know but yeah. people gravitate mm -hmm. and then um networks begin to expand in ways that you might not have imagined so it's um it's it can be a really beautiful thing you know yeah well, tell me if you see this, and I want to get to the mental health conversation, um, but the kind of like to your note, what I was pulling from it is, I th well, I think energy is everything and, you know, the vibe attracts the tribe and it brings it in, regardless what the mission is, if you're in, you're rocking in your truth. Um, but when you facilitate something off, whatever the conversation is, and you start to see like-minded people come together and you see communities, like different communities, from different people from different communities, but then like a community within a community building, and they make new friends and cultivate conversations, like that's one of my favorite things of my life that I've been able to see thus far is like somehow bringing communities together and seeing a community form right in front of me that wasn't there before. And now they kind of have support in their mission. Have you seen that at all? Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I just think it's so powerful. Um, you know, oftentimes, so 
sometimes people want you to think that you're out there in competition with a different community. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if you drink that Kool-Aid, you drink that Kool-Aid and then you behave in a way that's like, oh, I need this or I need that or this is mine and I'm not going to share this knowledge or that. But, you know, we're we're all in this together and different groups need different things. But all of these different groups I found uh, when we come together, there are some commonalities and you can have commonalities and still have your overarching priorities and keep your priorities. Yes. Nothing work, wrong with working together, but that takes some strategy and figuring out uh, what that looks like so that you don't end up involved in, I'd say, mission creep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I, I woke <laughs> up, you know, this is what I'm in now, but now because I've met with all these people, now I'm going to go, you know, which way am I going? <laughs> no, but you have to be very strategic about Yes. Know, what you're doing and how you collaborate and and work well you know and work well efficiently effectively yeah. uh with mm -hmm. one another and i've you know we've done great things in community and sometimes people will show up just to be a naysayer and say why are you talking about this issue when we have that issue and you know i had to say well in the information that we put out we said we know there are lots of issues that we could be talking about, but for this particular project, this is what we're going to be talking about. And when you address things head on, then people can say, oh, oh, I didn't understand that. Mm -hmm. And so it, it dialed the temperature down and then we could continue on doing what we had set out to do. Yeah. I, I'm curious because when you get into any sort of this work and I haven't seen, you know, a percentage of the things you've seen, how do you stay optimistic? Cause there are so many, you get into like one issue and you see thousands of problems or thousands of people that need help or, or millions or whatever. Like, how do you remain optimistic and see whatever little positivities that's coming out? Cause it can be overwhelming and how much it needs to be done, but how do you remain positive in it? Like I know that's your mission and your truth, but how do you, how do you keep in it and keep fired up about it? Yeah, you have to be specific about what your goal is and what your mission is, because one thing I could never say I could do, I can't be all things to all people. Right. And so just like any other organization, you have to set your priorities and then you find your niche. You know, how best can I serve community? Mm -hmm. And then that's what you stick with, because if I can serve community doing X and someone else can serve it better doing why there's no need for me to do why I can help support you I can yeah. send people to you I can you know write you a letter of support you know when you're going for a grant or whatever but you just really have to be specific about what it is that you're doing and and um, stay in your lane yeah. and then be very strategic about when you begin to grow sometimes people want to explode and start doing a whole lot of things mm -hmm. when it might be more useful to go deeper first instead of trying to go wider. So just being very strategic and specific about what you want to do and, and not getting enticed, um, you know, by money. Cause sometimes, especially when you're dealing, you know, in the nonprofit arena, sometimes, you know, funds run low mm -hmm. and um, well, let me take on this project. There's some money to do. Yeah. XYZ. So now we can start doing that. But how does that work out with your overall mission and vision? And if it doesn't fit in, are you willing to shift that 
to make it thin, you know, those types of things. Yeah. So many metaphors for life as a whole within yes. that, like keeping in your lane, but like focus. And I'm for sure we're getting better as we get older, but the exploder of like, we're just going to do all the things because we think we have all the energy and then we don't. And right. so we, we learn that over and over again, but this is perfect segue because I want to talk about, because I really actually do think the personal responsibility does start with us before you can really make change. I, I am a big believer in leading by example, walking in it, showing up and like, and being that if I'm going to those spaces, being the, the best example I can be so I am super authentic so I do have the ethos to be the leader or say what I'm saying whatever it is and a lot of that is like physical health mental health personal responsibility and I think a continued piece as I, I'm very into fitness I think you have the physical gym I think the mental gym therapy is critical in our mm -hmm. journey of life and there's still so much stigma around it and I think it's disproportionate uh, with people of color I think every conversation I've had it's uh, my family doesn't do therapy regardless of what their background is like it's still very stigmatized and I love that you are such an advocate for therapy and Ashley and I talk about all the time we therapy each other essentially yeah. um but tell me a little bit of your journey in mental therapy and why you're passionate about it and you're such an advocate for it oh gosh so I will say as I'm as I've matured I've come to look back and be reflective about some things in life that I hadn't really thought about and when I began to think about them, then I'm like, oh, okay, maybe that's why I made this decision, that decision. So for example, I do not know my biological father, never had an opportunity to meet with him, uh, meet him or anything. And so um, I grew up with a sense of abandonment. And so that would follow me throughout my adult life. And so when you're dealing with something like that, you tend to make decisions. And sometimes those decisions don't work out. You know, they're not good decisions for you. But for some reason, because you've abandoned you, you've been abandoned and you don't want anybody else to abandon you, then you begin to shift your behavior, even though you should make this decision. But for the sake of this, I'm going to make this type of decision. And so one day I had just, I, I woke up over many years and I, I reflected, I'm a very reflective person and it was New Year's Eve and I always do some deep thinking on New Year's Eve, like what's the next year going to be like? What are my goals? What, what are my aspirations? You know, what do I want to look different? And so uh, one year I, I was uh, pondering that and I said, you know what? Everything that you've been through and some of the experiences you had have been really sucky. They were really, really pretty jacked up. But you've got some options. You know, oftentimes people think, well, I don't have any options. There's nothing I can do. There's always something you could do. There, You always have options. And so I said, well, I can either choose to live, meaning thrive and move forward, or I can wallow in pity. And... Um, that's not my jam. So I'm just like, I'm not going to wallow in pity. I'm going to move forward and figure out how do I get to thrive and how do I shift my behavior so that I'm no longer making the types of decisions, mostly in relationships that are detrimental to me. Mm -hmm. And so um, I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And in order to do it, I knew that I would need to get into therapy. And I did. And that was 
many, many, many years ago. And, you know, I still have a therapist on speed dial. I still go to therapy. (laughs) And I might not be there every week, but the way that it has transformed my life, it is a part of my life. So depending on what's going on in your life, because we all go through changes, um, I might need to be in therapy to, to discuss something that's going on, or I might not, I'm, I'm doing okay. Maybe I just need a checkup or maybe I need to come in for a tune-up, you know, mm-hmm. like you treat your car. Sometimes it's said we treat our cars better than we treat ourselves. Yeah. And so when you think about that type of thing, but I'm, I, I will always, you know, have someone available that I can talk to and someone that gets me, understands me and my cultural nuances, my faith beliefs, because uh, uh, I don't want to be with somebody who uh, acknowledges that I have a, a very strong faith belief, but and they want to discount, you know, some of the things that I'm saying about faith. That doesn't, right. that would not work for me. Sure. So it's really, really important that you get the person that's right for you. And that's not always easy. Mm-hmm. It can be a journey. But once you land there, it's talking about a sweet spot. It's really a sweet spot. And I think I was um, divorced from my children's father when they were uh, four and seven or four and eight, something like that. And um, we were having conversations over the past several years and I'm like yeah you know I've been in therapy I've had a therapist for well over 20 years mom you had therapy (laughs) all I could do was last I'm like yes how did you think I could make it through all of this and at a young age you know I had them talking to someone uh, when we divorced, you know, when they were at a young age, I don't even know if they remember that, but it's just essential. It's support important. And sometimes, um, especially in a culture, my culture where, you know, women are strong and, you know, sometimes we can be very stoic and we can handle everything being like that and being that superwoman. Sometimes people will think, well, she don't need anything. She's good. Because she's tough, she's strong, she's that. And, you know, that might not necessarily be the case. Because I can remember saying, yeah, but I do need someone. I do need. And so I have to rethink about how am I behaving that sends um, messages that I don't need anyone or I don't need anything. Like, oh, I got this. No, I'm good. I'll be all right. I'm fine. You know, those types of things. But I, I just believe in it. it. It's just really helped me to untangle a lot of things and get clarity about um, what I want in life, uh, what I think about myself, uh, being able to actually affirm that I am enough and that it wasn't necessarily me that had done anything, but sometimes people will morph in and out of your life and friendships and in uh, relationships that um, they're not necessarily happy for you or they're insecure or whatever. And they want to project um, their insecurities on you. And, you know, for a while I was all too willing to take it on. It was just like, no. And, you know, I got to a point where I was able to learn, I don't have to carry everybody's burdens. Because, you know, as a Christian, I believe that I get to cast my cares and my burdens on God. Yeah. And so if I'm casting my cares, why am I? taking on stuff that doesn't uh, belong to me. Yeah. yeah, now that doesn't mean that 
I am not a very caring, I'm not a good listener. You know, I am good at listening. I, I have wonderful relationships, um, get to talk with people, and I love having deep and inspirational conversations with people, and, and I love all that. Um, but I'm not a therapist, and so I will always ask somebody um, at some point, well, have you talked to anybody? Or have you considered, you know, talking to anybody? And then I'm willing to share very transparently um, an experience that I had and how I was able to work through it. You know, it's about not getting over it, but being able to work through it to get to the other side. So, um, yeah, it's just something that will always be a part of my life. And I, um, excuse me, express that to my children and encourage my girls uh, to do the same. I love it. And it's, um, I love that when you, you kind of, you have this ability, I think this awareness clicks on, it sounds like where, you know, the pivot needs to happen and you have the ability to, to, to find the solution that works for you. And I think therapy is so critical. And I love that you pointed out it's so deeply important to find a therapist that fits for you. Like I can't go to a CrossFit class and want to learn yoga. Like you have to find the person that really speaks to you and aligns with your core values. And I think sometimes people get discouraged if you go and you have one really bad experience. It's like just not finding the right coach quite yet, but like you got to do a little trial and error, but keep the faith that it's, it is working. Just like you said, when it does happen and you kind of have that strategic partnership and someone can hear you and understand you, I really do think it's, it's magic and to feel heard and to unload some of the stuff that you said you didn't have to carry and let go. I mean, I wish I would have had that conversation. My parents divorced when I was older, no real conversation around there, but that was never a conscious convo. You know, we had, we played sports and that's what we, our Sunday was, yeah. you know, sports, uh, church was sports. And like, that's kind of, and that very much helped with my mental health, but had I had conversation around th- therapy and coaching and stuff early on, it would have been so great to like unpack things that I didn't have to carry into my thirties, forties and, and beyond. And so I'm thankful that came over, but I love when people are passionate about therapy, but are, are really willing. I'm, I'm, I hate to say it, but like influencers in the space of like, I'm, I'm inspiring because I'm sharing how it worked for me. I'm not the therapist telling you to come into me. I'm saying, here's my story. And if this resonates with you, I I would suggest you try it. And I think, I think that's the space where people can understand and be open-minded to it. Well, speaking of open-minded, what I've learned is that, you know, just like you said, you were an adult when your parents separated and everything, and there wasn't much conversation about it. I grew up in a culture where um, your parents, your relatives, they didn't put things into context. They just said, this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. Okay. And while I raised my children in a way that I felt uh, firmly that I wasn't going to do that. I'm, you know, I'm make it better for my kids. I'm going to tell them about therapy. I'm going to do this, do that. But as we uh, evolved and, and I evolved and the girls got older and we have these more adult conversations, I was that person mm-hmm. because I would just say, yes, girls, we need to do X, Y, Z. And be, well, well, nope, 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 because that's the way I was, I was brought up. And so I'm so thankful to God that the girls and I can have these types of conversations because I had to sit back and look at, oh, I shut them down the way I was shut down. And I'm the one who said, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. to be able to hear them and see 
you know, some of the things that I thought I was doing good, but I wasn't, I was just that same behavior. And so to be able to shift, <clears throat> excuse me, to shift that um, in order to be able to pivot effectively and efficiently. And then you mentioned pivoting, you know, mm -hmm. yes, I could see a lot. I learned a lot through therapy, but I got to tell you where I struggled because the abandonment piece can, can be kind of strong, you know, it's like this tug of war type thing, but, um, I knew when it was time to pivot. I've always known when it was time to pivot, but making the, de the decision to pivot is a different thing. Mm -hmm. And it takes it takes courage. I got better at it the older I got, uh, but it takes courage. Um, and yeah, because not everybody can do it. Right. There are lots of you know not everybody can do it. They, I've known people who said, yeah, I know I got problems, but I've lived this way my whole life, and I'm not changing. I'm just not going to do it. And so they would rather have relationships or really fractured relationships than to look inside. And I get that looking inside is hard and it can be painful, particularly if you're dealing with unhealed childhood trauma or some unhealed type of trauma. It's hard. It's mm -hmm. hard. And not everyone um, is willing to step up to the plate. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it, I completely agree. And it's one of you have no exposure at all. It's kind of heavy. It's a heavy personal conversation and it's almost a little taboo if you don't have like some sort of relationship prior. Um, but then you almost can't really prepare people for what, how it's going to be. Cause you don't know how they, like, if you're coming to a CrossFit class, I can tell you how we're going to warm up. I can tell you what we're going to do. I can tell you what the experience is going to be therapy. Like I, I can just say, well, like, here's my experience. I don't know what you are going to unpack what you're going to experience, but I can just tell you, I think it's worth it. Like, however hard it might be, I've only walked through my own situation. So I, that's as far as I can mm -hmm. relate. But I, I, my only step of advice is like, I think you'd be worth it if you'd be willing to try. And I fully understand there's so much I haven't, there's so much I can't relate to. And I have no idea to, for someone to even go into them, those, some spaces, it's not even an option. And, mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I don't know how you navigate around that. I still think conscious conversation and like maybe the right time, um, things happen or sometimes sparks just happen or like things, you know, allow you to pivot in it, maybe not even consciously. Um, I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a tough situation. I just think if people have any sort of inkling that it might be good, lean in like any sort of pull kind of go with it and, and see, and then try and get somebody really good. But there are those who can hear all that. Yeah. They can rationalize that and they can't lean in. They, mm -hmm. they just are not going to, they may stick their toe in the water get a little information. And at some point it just becomes either too personal, too painful to, they're just not willing to do the work. And I, I, I had firsthand experience being in a relationship with someone like that. And um, it's just like, when you think about brainstorming and you come up with all these different, throw all these different options out, and then you begin to evaluate um, what a solution could be to a particular problem, one of the key critical components is it just might not be solvable mm -hmm. now or even in the future. Yeah. Yeah. 
And that, and I'm curious on your, because this deeply resonates with um, family relationships and just different perspectives. And this, why I really say generational narrative is like one thing a lot of, every, all cultures have in common of like, there's yeah. just generational growth. You grow up, like our parents believe certain things. We believe certain things. Their parents believe certain things. And sometimes it just, there's no transition in between um, the generations, but I think that's kind of where I'm curious on how you handle it. But I, to me, I just think of boundaries and you, you meet people where that and you, and you let it be, but I'm curious if you have better advice around that. Uh, well, <laughs> I will tell you what my therapist told me <laughs> is that go. you need, you know, he said, what, what strategies are you using here? <laughs> and, you know, boundary setting, but boundaries, when you set them, you just can't set them. They have to be consequential. So mm -hmm. boundaries with consequences. Because boundaries without consequences aren't really set up to affect positive change, you know. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just living within those boundaries and making those hard choices and, you know, communicating clearly, you know, this is it. This is a boundary for me. And this doesn't work for me when you say blah, 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 or yeah. when this happens or blah, 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 or, you know. Mm -hmm. And engaging, engaging folks in a way that's not accusatory. So using I statements and not you statements. You did this. You did yeah. that. And that doesn't mean that you could say, well, I feel like you're a jerk. No, that's yeah. not I statement. So. <laughs> language. Language yeah. is key. Yeah. Right, right. But, you know, really having to do that hard work, that was one of the hardest things that I had to do was make some boundaries and and stick with them and it got easier for me but I got to a critical point where it was a matter of life and death I had yeah. some health issues and it was just like oh it was a wake-up call mm -hmm. exclamation point and yeah. so um it really gives you uh reason to pause and think about what are the things that are important what are the things that I am really trying to accomplish, achieve, to make a difference in the world? Yeah. Am I going to be able to do those things if I keep making certain types of decisions? Yeah. Amen. I, I think that actually brings the whole conversation fully circle because you're taking care of you and keeping those boundaries or whatever you can do. So then in turn, you can serve the greater good with, with whatever your purpose is. And it's almost like your responsibility to take care of you so you can be of that service. And without that, like you, then you can't do the, the mission. So um, I don't, sometimes it's always for me, like it things like that feel very myopic and it's more about me and this and da, da, And I was thinking like, well, yeah, but if you don't take care of this, you can't do what you really think you need to be doing. And you can't do the right. mission. You can't do the purpose. So like that responsibility flicks on for me of like, mm -mm -mm, we got to like do this and make sure it's there. And I love it. You said, well, I'll tell you what my therapist said. Cause I always joke with Ashley. I'm like, you got a bill. <laughs> tell them that I owe them twice because you pass it on to me. So I owe this human so many dollars for like the reverberated <laughs> consultation. Um, so now that now it's a, now a third invoice from <laughs> said human. So, but yeah. I, I, so I, really, I think that's great. You really have to take care of yourself. And I know, um, there's a lot of talk about well-being and self-care and I just want to say that, you know, I'm a champion for all of that. They are not buzzwords. They are not luxuries. They are necessities. Mm -hmm. And self-care is just, 
you can't give from an empty cup. And if I don't take care of myself, I'm going to be no good to you if I'm coming to support you and something. But I, it has to start here. Mm-hmm. It has to start here. 100%. So if I'm not, if I'm, if I'm no good for me, I can't be any good for you, yeah. you know, and figuring out ways that you can tap into, you know, your well-being. And I think sometimes people think, oh, yes, yeah, so let me go to a massage, go get a massage or go sit in the hot springs or this, that and the other. And I love doing all those things. Absolutely. But mm-hmm. when we're thinking about uh, not everybody has disposable income. You know, and so what are some of the ways that we can take care of ourselves and engage in self-care that don't have fiscal notes associated with? You know, one of the things I love to do is um, meditate. I love just taking a deep breath and holding it and slowly exhaling. I'll do that. Um, Take a step back from a situation. You know, sometimes you, you get in too close. Being able to say no. And when I first learned that many, many years ago, because um, it was like, oh, did I commit a crime or something? No, I don't think I can do that because you pile on, pile on, and then you're inundated. Um, We talked about this, setting boundaries, uh, definitely putting yourself first. I love spending time with myself. Um, I used to tell the girls, I quite enjoy my own company. Yeah, yes. (laughs) I do. Uh, But with that being said, um, especially with what we've all been through with COVID and everything. And I mean, we were on lockdown because I had some health issues that had some underlying conditions. It was like, we're not playing up in here. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think it was almost... I don't know if it was a year that I had actually interacted or saw Ashley. Oh, um, wow. We were we were online, you know. We would. I remember. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we do some stuff, but it was just like, no, nah, you 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 gotta, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. But yeah. now that um, we seem to be over the worst of it because COVID is here, and I think it's here to stay. Uh, finding healthful and responsible ways to connect. I think it's good because connecting is good for you. It's good for your well-being. And one of the things that really feeds my soul is music. So I love driving around just listening to music. I love going to concerts. 2022 has been a year where I was blessed to be able to feed my soul with music. You know, it started out in the spring, I think, went to the Belco Theater to see her. And yeah. then I ended up in Vegas going to see um, Silk Sonic. And oh, that I was just this. like, oh, yes, that was, okay. that was the, um, you know, and, and now that, you know, I'm, I'm solo, um, <laughs> sometimes a benefit of being solo is that Buying one seat to go to a great concert can turn out to be really, really cool. And so I did that, went to see Silk Sonic, best ever concert. You know, I went to see Earth, Wind & Fire in Uh Vegas and, you know, just doing things that are just feeding my soul. And so figuring out. What that, yeah, choir, I love to to sing. And one of the reasons that I love to sing in choir, choir is a community. So my church is a community, Colorado Community Church, and we are communities within a community. Yes. Um, and so that's another 
family within a family. Uh, that I have. And so it helps to build uh, build a community and it increases my well-being. And so, yeah, just really happy about trying to figure out ways to connect with folks. But I can't, um, one of the things that I do want to mention is that um, I've lost friends and family who did not pay attention to the signals, to the signs of what's going on with them, with their body or whatever. Now, there are a lot of reasons, you know, why. I know, especially in communities of color, there are a lot of people who's just like, I'm not going to the doctor. Um, I'm just not, yeah. you know, or they're fearful of information they might get, you know, whatever. And so I've I've taken upon myself to be an advocate for really being in tune for um with with your body and what's going on. So now I say that as a person who has done hundreds of presentations in community about heart health and cancer and this, that, and the other, to turn around in 2018, you know, I, I live a healthful lifestyle. Um, my diet and nutrition is pretty good, you know, it's pretty consistent. The blips that I have are special occasions when I have to have some meat and some mac and cheese and all of that, but I'm pretty much plant-based um, the other the other times. Um, but I had I had a health event in 2018 and I was just minding my business. I was over at 24 hour fitness and uh, doing Zumba. And we had a great uh, instructor and I'm like, man, she's really whooping my behind today. And so I stopped and walked around the room and I said, oh, I got to shake this off. Just got to shake this off. So got back in, in it for a few more minutes. I'm like, oh, let me just walk to the locker room. So I went to the locker room just to walk, walk it off. And then all of a sudden I felt nauseous. And so then I went in to the restroom and then all of a sudden I had a bout of diarrhea and was like, what's going on? And then uh, just as I was coming out of the restroom, I felt like someone had literally taken a bucket of water and poured it over my head. And so then I walked out and I laid on a bench by the lockers. I said, OK, let me pull myself together. And someone uh, coming into part of the staff coming into the women's locker room said, ma'am, are you okay? Do you need some help? And I said, yes, I need help. Yeah. So um, I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, something's going on. Not sure what it is, but um, when the ambulance gets here, um, I'm going to have them take me to urgent care at Kaiser because I don't want to get dinged for going straight to the hospital when I could have gone to urgent care first. You know, I'm following protocol because, you know, I'm an educator. Right. I know what yeah. this is. Yeah. How those things work. So the ambulance came, you know, people had gathered around me, um, taking care of me. Do you need this? Do you need that? And I'm just like, no, I'm good. The ambulance came. And I thought it was just great that we got to go out the door where the alarm goes off. You know, it says, do not exit this door. Yeah. And so we exited that door. So it's kind of grinning because we could exit the door, <laughs> but got in the ambulance. And um, then I was nauseous, just throwing up. Um, so I tell you all of it, they, they put the, uh, the sensors on me, Yeah. get a blood pressure. Everything was just slipping off. And so, uh, they said, here, ma'am, after I threw up, they said, here, ma'am, take these. It was a handful of baby aspirin. So what they knew that I didn't know is that I was having a heart attack. Mm -hmm. 
And so um, the same person who teaches people about the signs and symptoms of heart attacks and this, that, and the other, I would not allow myself to think that I was having a heart attack because I got too much to do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm busy and nobody got time for that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So sometimes I think particularly uh, when you deal with um, people in communities of color, they don't go to, oh, this is what's happening to me. And if they do, okay, this is what, but what about at home? What's going to happen to so-and-so? Yeah. Who's mm-hmm. going to get the kids? What, you know, and no. So I was, I was blessed in that the firemen were right across the street at King Supers. So they just literally, they said it happens all the time. They pushed their grocery order in the refrigerator and they came across the street and they took me um, to Parker Venice. Uh, is that where I went? Yeah. And so I told them, uh, I was trying to say where I wanted to go. And they said, ma'am, with what's going on with you, yeah. we can go anywhere we want to go. Cause you know, I'm going over health, health insurance coverage in my head. <laughs> They're like, never mind. Okay. Say, yeah. Hey, hold up. You know, yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I get to uh Parker Adventist uh quickly, um, they had done what they call a cardiac alert. I didn't know anything about a cardiac alert. So by the time I, I rolled up in there, there was like about a dozen people standing out and I'm thinking, are these people on break? What's what's yeah. happening here? Well, they were waiting for me. Yeah. So a cardiac alert is when they've been notified that someone has had a heart attack. And so they can get them right into the cath lab and do whatever they need yeah. to do. So I'd say within an hour, I had been in the cath lab, had uh, two stents placed in my right coronary artery. Um, what I didn't know until my kids came to visit me in the ICU is that I had coded on the operating um, didn't know any of that. And this is a person who has taught people about the signs and symptoms, but yet would not allow herself to think that something like that would be happen to, happening to her because there are other needs for other people. Mm-hmm. So we have to stop. We have to listen. We have to be mindful. And so what it came to me after I evaluated myself was like, Physical activity, good. Nutrition, good. And when people say, Lucille Johnson had a heart attack, they said, who? Uh, uh, What? And so what I will say is stress will take you out. And so my life was very stressful at that particular time. So stress will will take you out. And so um, I just want people to be mindful of their their health history. If they don't know what it is, try and dig. You know, try and get some answers because for the longest, I fill out health questionnaires and they say, do you have any risk for cancer? And I'm like, nope. And so when I was, I would say maybe within the last five years, I came to realize that not only am I at risk for cancer, I am at high risk for cancer. Because now people are starting to open up. Oh, well, and so and so had this, and so and so had this. But if you never talk about it, and Uncle so and so had that, and so and so had that, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just really, really important that we become advocates for our own health, but that we're also knowledgeable about our bodies and in tune with our bodies. And yeah. even if it's something that you say, mm, this is a little different. They'll get different checked out yeah. because you never know. 
Yeah. Amit, well, thank you for sharing that story. I think I know that will hit home a lot. And heart health, I've had three relatives um, go through something somewhat similar in the mm-hmm. past two years. And like you, my grandfather actually had a heart attack at 36 and he was on the fire department and it was attributed to stress. Like that's a young human fit, whatever. But again, we we hadn't really dug into any sort of history of what's there, answering questions. We work out, we're healthy, we eat well, da, 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 da. That sometimes that doesn't matter. Like that's not like the piece of the puzzle. And mother nature and like think like things will happen, right? Even if you're checking all the boxes. And I I so I second what you're saying of that personal awareness. And if you and my varsity humans, I always say we have to learn the lessons the hardest. We're gonna stay in it the most. We're gonna fix it. We're gonna not listen. But it's like you have to pause and 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 take a note for a second and say like, okay, really really check in. Right. So so shortly after the heart attack, you know, so they gave me blood thinners. And so things were happening that were a little different. You know, you have to be mindful. I never knew I bumped into stuff quite so often, <laughs> cutting corners, coming around. Yeah. You know? So with, when you're on blood thinners, you tend to bruise easier. So I'm like, girl, you need to watch where you're going and take it easy, you know, just be mindful. And so I got to practice being more mindful and being more thoughtful about the steps that I take instead of operating on autopilot but one day Mm -hmm. I saw some blood in the toilet and I'm just like what the heck and I thought maybe it had something to do with the blood thinner or whatever so I started investigating and one led me to OBGYN they said no it's not us maybe you need to go and check out urology and I went to urology and sure enough um I had um tumors growing in my bladder and so uh, is it stalactite that in the caves that hangs down from stalactite and stalagmite I can never remember yeah I don't know it's the one that hangs down not the one that goes up but when I saw the pictures of inside my bladder I said oh my goodness and so the only indication that I had had was the bleeding but it would come and then it would go away and I thought oh this is just something related to the blood thinners and so as I began the investigation um it took me a couple months but it led me to a bladder cancer diagnosis well the interesting thing is that my mother had the same diagnosis before she passed away. And I was able to navigate her through that. But the interesting thing is she was the main risk factor for uh, bladder cancer. One of the main risk factors is smoking. My mother hadn't smoked in well over 40 years, but you know, those carcinogens are just mm-hmm. lying there dormant. And so she ended up with kidney cancer mm-hmm. and bladder cancer. And so I navigated her through that process. So I saw the treatment that she got and the immunotherapy and all of this, that, and the other. So when I got diagnosis, I said, God, you're pretty awesome because I feel like I was able to navigate my mom through that process. Part of the purpose was for me to see the journey that I was going to go on and not be fearful about what was going to happen because I had seen what was going to happen, you know, step by step by step. And so I also decided not to try and figure out, well, how did I get this? Because I'm not a smoker, never been a smoker, but I did grow up in a household where everyone else smoked. I grew up around relatives where the largest percentage of everyone smoked. And then just recently within the last several years, we found out that 
the military, I'm from Colorado Springs, the neighborhood in the areas, one of the areas that I lived in was affected by some chemicals that were in the water um, from, I think it's some foam that was used in firefighting or whatever. And so I could spend a whole lot of time trying to figure out, well, how did I get this? How, you know, you know, trying to why me, why, why, why? Yeah. And instead I'm just like, okay, I looked in the mirror and I'm like, cancer, I'm not scared of you. And I yeah. flexed my muscles because I had seen my mother's journey and I went across the hall and the doctor gave me the diagnosis. And so I'm like, okay. So I ended up with immunotherapy um, uh, off and on for weeks. And then uh, I sit here today and I'm very thankful to God that I'm entering my fourth year of being cancer-free, no cancer cells, tumors, any, none of that stuff, but I did what I needed to do. When I saw something that was a little sketchy, I followed up on it. Was I hesitant? Yes, but you know, this is unusual. So, ah, you know, mm -hmm. let's, let's check it out. And so if there's anything, I would just encourage people to, you know, know their body if anything different is going on, any sign, any inkling, anything that's odd, go get it checked out. Yeah. Go get yeah. it checked out. Thank you for sharing that whole thing. Cause even the healthy, the aware, the ones that are trying to do it all right, it can still yeah. happen. And it's that personal. It can still happen. Awareness. And so my goal is to do my part. So I do know that um uh physical activity is always good. And I think there are studies with cancer and other chronic disease states where physical activity positively impacts uh chronic sure. disease as well as um, eating a plant-based diet. So I, I transitioned and was eating a plant-based diet, was doing really, really great, and then had some, some issues in life, like my mom passed away, and then my husband at the time was very ill, and you know, all of this, and people are bringing food to the house. You know, when, when someone in our family dies, it's a big party. And so yeah. I had to say, okay, for two weeks, we're going to be partying at my house, <laughs> you know, until yes. we get, you know, to the ceremony where we honor my mom's life. And so, you know, there was some fried chicken up in there yeah. and there was macaroni and cheese. And, you know, I, I went down that slippery slope yeah. and having good, a good healthcare team uh, means that I received a call from my uh, clinical pharmacist. And he said, not trying to alarm you, but what's going on? Because okay. cholesterol is up, I think, eight points. He said, now, mm -hmm. I want to put this in perspective. He said, I got some people whose is up 50 points. Yes. He said, that's not you, but I'm I'm giving you a friendly reminder. I like that. This. You need to do whatever you were doing before. So mm -hmm. I was able to dial it back. They had suggested that they put me on a higher dose of a statin and all of that. And I'm like, no, just give me an opportunity mm -hmm. to course correct. And mm -hmm. I did. And so they didn't have to mess with my meds. But, you know, I feel like I'm here for a purpose. I have work to do. And God has spared me so that yeah. I can do this work. And I'm healthy. And I want to do my part. So doing my part is making sure that I'm eating healthful. And that's like most of the time. I don't think any of us 
well, maybe some, you know, great athletes are really good at managing, you know, their diet and nutrition and their physical activity consistently. <laughs> and I've struggled my whole life. Either I'm good with my uh, nutrition or I'm great with my physical activity. Or um, when I put them together, I know I hit that sweet spot, but that sweet spot is fleeting. And yeah. so you just do, you know, the best you can and, and you know, do your part. Yeah. And um, yeah, I said, just do your part. Well, no, I, like you said, this, the tumor can the, the the middle is like right there in the and right here. But yes. you, you can't be, again, the stress factor. So if you're stressing about eating well or stressing about doing it like that, that doesn't work either. So it's, I think that that ebbs and flow is totally, totally yes. okay. Yes. Um, I, I love how it just seems so like eloquently so God universe Madonna of like the adversity fueled the advocacy and like absolutely and, and totally just fueled the purpose. Do you feel more motivated now than ever to do be in alignment with your purpose and give whatever it is you can give and be of service? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you it. know, I'm I'm one of the people who understood what my calling is and what my purpose is. And it was just reinforced when I was able to make the journey through cardiac arrest and bladder cancer. And, you know, again, no new tumors, yeah. no, no blood cells. And a year from now, they're going to be done with me. Yeah. Uh, because there's, you know, you'll hit the five-year mark, this, that, mm -hmm. and the other, but it's really important to me. Um, to longitudinally be able to track what's happening with me. And I know my my physician retired, my oncologist, urologist uh, retired. And so um, I have a certain routine. I get a, a urine test and then a cystoscopy every quarter. And so now I'm to the point where I only have to do that every six months. And so um, I went in one day and it's just like, oh, you're just doing the cystoscopy. And I'm just like, mm, gave a little pushback. I said, no, all these years we've been doing the urine test and the cystoscopy. I want the same because I want to compare apples to apples. And so they weren't aware that they're dealing with a research geek, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because longitudinally when you're, when you're comparing data, yes, you yes, know, agree. apples to apples and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, you have to be an advocate for yourself, or if you can't be, have someone with you who can advocate for you and yeah. be really authentic about what's happening and, and what you're feeling um, and the like. Yeah. Boom. And, Boom. and do, do fun things, do, yeah. do things that make you happy. Happy. I know you and I shared, recently shared an experience that was just, um, <laughs> it was life changing. I'll say life impacting because okay. it was so surreal. Yeah. Uh, number one. Do you want to tell so them what surreal. it is? <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> the you want to set it up? I, I mean, I'm kind of liking your flow, but yeah, okay. it's, I mean, well, I'll, I'll tee you up. So I, we're talking about Bridgerton, correct? I don't know if we're talking about the yes. Christmas party or Bridgerton. Um, we're talking about Bridgerton. Yeah. Okay. Equal part, equally uh, life-changing for me, but it was amazing. So um, myself, Ashley, uh, Dr. Lucille and a, a friends and family went to the Bridgerton experience in Denver. There's probably what, like a hundred plus people there, like a good chunk of humans. Oh yeah. Probably a couple hundred. Okay. A couple hundred. Yeah. Um, big event. And you go and do the Bridgerton experience and you do the dance. It's really cool. We were all dressed up and, and on theme. 
well, there's a queen and the queen, if you know Bridgerton, which most people do, they she picks a diamond. And of all the humans there, we have to go up and curtsy. <laughs> Dr. Lucille did the Wakanda sign. It was a whole thing. It was wonderful. Guess who she selected at the queen selected as the diamond? Oh, I mean, obviously, none of us were surprised, but the one and only Lucille, Dr. Lucille. <laughs> so she was the diamond of the event. And to it was like a whole thing. We got the pictures. She did. She was like on stage twirling. It reminded me of we grew up going to the ice capades. So to me, it was like oh. the grand finale of the ice capades. And she was there. It was it was it was awesome. But let me I want to hear your perspective as the diamond. Yeah, I was so, just a fan. So girl. It was. So I watched Bridgerton. I love Bridgerton. And the thing that drew me to Bridgerton is the inclusiveness. Mm -hmm. Because when you go to look at other historical movies and things like that, you would think that there were no Black people on this earth at all, mm -hmm. let alone Black people who were affluent. Mm -hmm. um, and so, or, and or yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, not in these United States or in Europe or, you know, whatever, you know, you just weren't there, you know, right. or so it was depicted. So um, I didn't know that it was a thing that people really wanted to be the diamond of the season they wanted to be picked. That had totally escaped me. All I was concerned about was, well, let me see what outfit I have. And, you know, Ashley and I and Lauren have been talking about what tiara we were going to get. And we ordered this from Amazon or that from Amazon. So I have to say our group, we looked quite lovely mm -hmm. walking into the, <laughs> the Bridgerton experience. And I was totally clueless because one of the gentlemen, I'm calling him the Duke because I don't know what else to call Acceptable. him. I think it was, wasn't it the Duke? I don't, no, yeah, was he it? was okay. the Duke. Yeah, I so don't he was, know. He was dressed up like a Duke. And so he came and he was chatting it up with me. And uh, I'm, I thought he was just being cordial. Oh, hello, blah, 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 blah. And so then it was time to go up and curtsy in front of the queen. And so I turned around and I told the ladies, I said, hey, I said, today is November 11th. Wakanda forever came out. Yeah. I said, what do y'all think? I'm going to curtsy before the queen, and then I'm going to do Wakanda forever. And they said, yeah, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> so I gracefully approached the, the queen, did my curtsy, and then I did my Wakanda forever. Boldly, like boldly with a pause. Yeah. Then, then her, her lady, her, her lady in waiting was whispering, and then, you know, they're, they're staying in, um, character not trying to show any emotion but i knew that there was some emotion flowing yes yeah. and so then the duke approaches me and he says hello my lady mm -hmm. uh we quite liked what you did up there and i'm just like okay well the movie it's veterans day and the movie came out today so i just said why not you know and so then he would talk to me throughout I thought I did notice that. I didn't want to. I was yeah. like, okay, whatever's happening here, we're here for all this. So acceptable. So yeah. That's what I was saying. He says, well, maybe I can get on your dance card. And then, you know, Kristen, oh. I like to dance. And so then I was just like, oh, so it's that kind of party. Okay. And so I'm just <laughs> going with the flow. And then he comes, he says, my lady, would you grab my arm? So I gave one of the ladies my purse and stuff. And he said, let's go walk and get at the front of the dance floor so we can see you know, what's happening. The queen's about to pick the diamond. And he told me, he says, I'm hoping I get to be the diamond. And then I got to think, uh, in Bridgerton, did guys get to be the diamond too? Or, you know, I was just, no, I was just no. trying to, I, I was clueless. Again. Yeah. I, had, I didn't even know this was all going on. I saw him, he was kind of lurking around in the vicinity quite a bit. Yes. Yeah, so I just thought you had a fan. I don't know. <laughs> 
Yeah, so it was it was pretty funny. And so then um it was the time for the queen to scour the the ball to see who's going to be the diamond of the season. And so she walked by and walked back. And then she whispered to her lady in waiting. And then they pointed at me and then came and got me. And then I'm just like, what the what? Yeah. <laughs> we weren't even surprised. We we're like, oh of course. Like Yeah, but is, I, I was just like, you know, okay, what is this? Because I didn't study that part. You know, I didn't right. read up on what was going to happen. And so I'm like, okay, so they put me up on this this riser that's in the middle of this dance floor and, you know, have me curtsying to all different sides of the room. And then one of the dancers says, now twirl. And he starts twirling. So I start twirling. And then confetti starts falling. Yeah, it was a whole thing. Ceiling. It was the whole thing. It was... It was very surreal for me, first of all, because I didn't know it was going to happen. I was totally clueless about what was going on. But the reason that it was moving for me is because Shonda Rhimes gets it. Um, As a Black person, to be seen, I felt like I was seen in a different way, you know, that evening. Okay. And um, yeah, and it was just like, oh, oh, okay, okay. And and I think you'll agree that everybody there was just wonderful. People were screaming yes. and hooping and hollering. Oh, and, yeah, you know, see, buying see us it. drinks and calling me diamond. That was a whole that was a whole other thing. But yes, no, um, seen and celebrated. No, the energy, yes. the vibes. It was, and you did a good job rolling with it because it wasn't just like you got on stage and took a bow or curtsy and like did like you twirled and it was like a production. I thought maybe you kind of knew. I mean, truly no. no part of me was surprised that you were selected. I don't like, just cause like th- that's the vibe. And then it would add, but I was like, Oh my God, this is like, you're, you had to kind of go with a lot of like, it was like a big portion of the show. So I was, part of me was like, did she know about this? Like, was this, no. so you did a good job. I knew it, nothing. It was awesome. I knew nothing, but experiences, <laughs> you know, living life, I've increasing it that night increased my well-being because it was so much fun and getting uh-huh. to dress up yeah. and and the outfit that I made was a custom made well it was a vogue pattern that I had made when my husband and I had gotten married but because we eloped people hadn't really seen it so it was a two-piece you know stand-up collar and it looked quite the period oh, oh no I noticed it right away because yeah. mine was off Amazon my dress was trash and I saw yours <laughs> I was like okay this is for real like you were you're showing up with a hundred and you're you'd said it I'm like oh my god way to reuse your stuff everyone else is is just sitting in there like this is perfect yeah so so it it was was, diamondy yes and it was um to be around people that you care about people that you love and to share that experience with them um and again to be in an environment I'd say the last several years you know whether it be health wise or anything else you know we all go through stuff it was just an amazing evening to, oh. first of all, just to be there, yeah. but then for the evening to end up the way that it did, I'm just like, okay. And then to be in an environment where I've always been about inclusivity and diversity and to see, you know, the diversity there, you know, all of the the different cultures that were in the production yeah. and, and just all of it. And, and you're, all, all of us were a part of this very inclusive event that just, well, immersive event that just yes. really made it, it, it feel 
real. So it was fun. It was fun. It was so yeah. fun. I'll have to post the, the pictures kind of say it all <laughs> like on the couch. And it's, I mean, yeah, it was an adventurous oh. night, but we had, we had such like a good group and it overall it was, it was an extraordinary night. It was so, it was perfect. There was just no surprise to me at all that you were the diamond. Yeah. You showed up in the role scene celebrated and it all just fit. Like it really was just like a meant to be, it was all in alignment. And uh, I think a young lady came up to me and she says, oh, you look so beautiful. Congratulations. She said, I was really trying hard. I wanted to be the oh. diamond. And I'm just like, gave her a hug. I'm like, oh, thank you. But I'm just, it wasn't until I got home until I went online and figured out via YouTube that it was a thing. I <laughs> so, had no idea. I didn't either. <laughs> Well, you played it off very well. I mean, it was, like I said, it was just right in alignment. You were right in the zone. It looked so natural and it was a commitment to the process. Like, again, it wasn't just a bow. So um, it was all meant to be. It was very natural. You you were the diamond long before they gave you the the acknowledgement. That's for sure. Well, it was a, it was a fun night. But, you know, when you think about well-being and being able to do things that bring you joy, mm -hmm. joy is huge, is, is, um, yeah, it's it's a big deal. Yeah, joy is kind of the cure. I feel like to most things, if you can yes. figure out that path. Yeah. Well, with all I, this, I love this so much because this is such a perfect tea to me pressuring. Well, not I don't think I have to pressure you at this point. I think you're into the podcast. But tell us what you've got going on, where we find you, if someone wants to get in touch with you or be part of the programs. Oh. Um, give give me the info on how we connect. Well, so I can be reached at affinity with Lucille at gmail.com. Yeah. Um, right now, um, I love my life. Hey. I mean, not just right now, but I love yeah. my life. And so I am a public health consultant. And so I've worked in public health for, you know, well over 20 some years now. And I am at that sweet spot in my life where I get to work on projects that bring me joy. And so I am blessed to be able to select the things that I want to work on. And they're all things that will help improve the health and well-being of our of our people. And right now I'm working on a project that is um, training and building capacity in uh, the community health worker, health navigation, peer specialist, health worker field. Uh, because we realized, uh, well, the world realized with the healthcare worker shortage during COVID, uh, the benefits of having community health workers, lay health workers, patient navigators, whatever you want to call them. For the last several years, I have been teaching uh, and training on health navigation fundamentals, care coordination, um, writing curriculum, um, just building up this workforce, helping them to upscale um, so that's that's what I'm doing, and I'm excited that I get to bring in. Uh, we just received a grant, and so I get to bring in the uh, behavioral health and mental health components of this. So I'm working with some partners at WellPower to create content um, so that we can have this naturally a part of the curriculum that's already existing. So I'm really, really excited about that. So I do that. And, um, you know, what I will be doing is going around promoting um, heart health and talking about your family health history. I want to share my story because 
I have a story. I know there are tons of other stories out there. And it's really important that you know your risk for heart health. Yeah. And um, just, just knowing the basics and educating people, you know, about the basics. Again, this health educator here and just really sharing my story about how it could even happen to me. Yeah. And Absolutely. so part of that, you know, has cultural nuances, which means you got to take time for yourself. You're always worried about everybody else. And no, let me drive myself to the ER. You know, I didn't do that. But, you know, um, yeah. there have been times when I was like, yeah, well, let me take myself to urgent care. But after I do this for so-and-so and after I do that for so-and-so. Yeah. And I was having an issue, but I couldn't get to me until I had settled. So let's, let's stop and press the pause button and rethink about the things that are critically important. And it starts with taking care of you and not in a selfish way, but in a way that will enable you to be there for others when you're called or pressed into service. So, yeah. And yeah, so my goal is uh, wanting to educate folks, especially and create um, um, different venues for people to learn about what are some basic things that I need to know as a lay person, as somebody, as, you know, a friend of yours may say, hey, Kristen, I need you to take me to the doctor or could you go to the doctor with me? Well, Kristen, you know, we can talk about the three top three things that you need to have on your list to help your friend, you know, during the appointment so that the time is used effectively. What are some basic things that I can impart? to people so that as we continue to live through a pandemic and some of the other things, people will feel a little bit more equipped in terms of how to connect with resources and those types of things. But you know, I'm all about education and, um, you know, if we can make an impact with our uh, health navigation, community health, health workers, we've already made an impact, but just to broaden that and build capacity so that as a whole, you know, we're all, you know, in the United States and even around the world, uh, we can take some of the pressure off of the healthcare system. Hmm. That is the truth. So well said. Dr. Lucille, coming to a community near you. I'm so excited to see what's coming next. These are these, I don't even say lofty goals, they're goals, but like, man, you are like right on path and like all the personal experience. It's I'm just I'm excited to see how it further comes together and fruition and um just the impact from all the service is so deeply inspiring from my perspective. So I appreciate you sharing your time, energy, and story. Uh, I'm inspired. I hope you enjoyed sharing it and I can't wait for the podcast. I can't lie. I did. I did. And, and thank you for, you know, pushing me. Yeah. I, I, I love to plan. I love to have my ideas, you know, my, uh, eyes dotted and my T's crossed. Um, so I have some good ideas that, you know, you and I will chat about to see how do I, uh, make my entree into this podcast world. Uh, but health, well-being, resilience is, is my jam. It's what I want to talk about. It's what I want to encourage people to talk about and, you know, learn about what other people are doing. There you go. Go see, go check out what she's got going on. Whenever the podcast comes out, it is all things are on time, but go check that out. But go dig into, I'll put some links up and everything and her email. But if you're looking to connect or get involved or just want to say thank you or whatever, um, do that because I love uh, that she's an influencer, even though she's a non-influencer, uh, <laughs> out here doing it, walking the walk and doing the talk. I think that's where real impact lies. So I appreciate you coming on and I and thank you for your time and energy. 
Kristen, thank you so much. And thank you for not making me drink any tequila. <laughs> I got you just water today. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll see you soon. Okay, thank you. Take care. Thank you for joining Turmeric and Tequila with your host, Kristen Olson. Tune in next time and don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen.